Thank you, Danny Elfman, for the intro there, and shout out to Shirley Walker, who was the composer to the, a lot of the music on Batman the Animated Series, which is the television series we, we will be discussing on the podcast today for the rewatch, or it might be called the rewatchers, whichever kind of name um, is good for you to connotate people that rewatch television shows. In any case, you will be getting a little double intro as this is a live recorded lecture and screening series. It took place in October 2017 at Moore College of Art and Design in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, So today's podcast, uh, or this evening's podcast, whenever you're listening, we will be discussing discussing Season 3 of BTAS, Demon's Quest, Parts 1 and 2, written by Dennis O'Neill and Len Wein, directed by Kevin Altieri. As we listen further, you will be introduced to our esteemed lecturers and get to know them a little bit better for uh, the roundtable discussion on Demon's Quest. So thank you so much for listening. Although I'm tone deaf, so I don't know how well that's going to work out. Okay, Gothamites, we're going to get started. Woo! Roundtable! Roundtable time. Previously in the last episode of whatever this shit is. Uh, today we watched Demon's Quest parts one and two. That's Matt. That's Pulaski. the demon. That's the demon. Oh. Incubus himself. Um, Thank you, Matt. <laughs> wait, I couldn't hear you, John. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we just finished watching Demon's Quest parts one and two. Uh, and Derek Jones gave the lecture today, uh, which was, was excellent. And if you weren't here, you're lost. Good job, Derek. Yeah, and we're we're also yes. Um, The other thing I wanted to say too: no clapping because it sounds pathetic. um, But we do snap or do jazz hands when we introduce everyone. Um, So yeah, I guess I'll go right into the intro for also Demon's Quest, uh, written by Dennis O'Neill and directed by Kevin Altieri. Um, And we're in season three of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, And yes, Derek Jones who gave the lecture today. Uh, let's see, Derek and I have been friends for like a decade now. We're both, we're 18 years old. Yeah. Um, no, just kidding, we're old. Um, we met and when we were eight. We met when we were eight. Uh, and uh, so Derek has a background in history and um, philosophy. And he also co-hosts a podcast with Laura Hostack called The Midnight Myth. I highly recommend that you listen, and if you're listening to this podcast because you just love Batman so much, uh, they did uh, two Batman-centric episodes. Uh, one was in discussion of the Killing Joke, and um, you know, major trigger warnings on that one. And then the second one uh, was you were just talking in general about the Batman universe. I feel like you. It was the Dark Knight, though. Maybe. We were was it the Dark Knight. The, the Dark Knight Rises yeah, was the okay. the subject matter that's central. The central. Oh, to that. Sorry, returns. The, not, yeah. not the Dark Knight Rises. Not that. Yeah. The worst one of it. No, just kidding. All right. We're going off these <laughs> no. here. So, um, and uh, Derek, I, my question as I introduce everybody uh, to get to know Derek a little bit more today is who is your favorite uncostumed character from Batman the Animated Series? I, I mean, it, it's got to be Alfred, you know, like... Filling in for Anne here. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> as far as someone that doesn't ever put on a costume, like, you know, he is just always there to support Batman and is just so witty and uh, does such a good job as a voice actor. So, yeah, it's got to be my favorite non-costumed character in the series. Excellent. 
Um, okay, great. So moving on to, we're going to introduce Stephen Wood, who is, teaches animation here at Moore College of Art and Design, and who is an animator in his own right, and also you do illustrations for tabletop games and, and um, things like that. We're really excited to have you and schooling us on the animation side of Batman the Animated Series. And uh, Stephen, so please tell me, who is your favorite non-costume character from Batman uh, the Animated my, Series? My favorite non-costume would be Gordon, just because he hates all of it. He doesn't want to have anything to do <laughs> with any of it, and he has to deal with it. So that's why I like him. Yes, Gordon. He's amazing. He's lazy. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? Like, uh, I'm, say he's lazy. I'm gonna let Batman take care of all of this. I'm gonna go go drink at the bar. Hold on. If you had Batman to take care of things, wouldn't you let Batman take care of things? <laughs> uh, no, because he's a civil servant, and his job is to protect. Okay. I also feel like Gordon knows Bruce Wayne is Batman and knows Bruce Wayne is giving all the money to the police department, so he just keeps his mouth shut the whole <laughs> that time. Oh, that, yeah. that's like a kickback. I yeah. don't know how that works. Um, okay, so April, since you're so eager to talk, let's introduce you. Just kidding. Oh my God. No, it's cool. I, I have an um, opinion about everything. Which is why we love you at the round table. Um, so April did uh, last week's lecture was centered around Catwoman. It was amazing. We talked about feminism and um, female archetypes and how like just you know we we I mean I'm with you I totally ship Catwoman over <laughs> all the femme fatales on the show um, so and April has a background as well in history um, some uh, minors in psychology and also law from Temple University and uh, just also I think probably the most the most well versed of the roundtable on television you might compete with John on that a little bit but I am I am always just like so impressed with the your wealth and knowledge um, on popular culture uh, on television and every everything thank you I'm always like wow you're amazing I'm just a loud mess no, with a lot of opinions and <laughs> just need informed from my nonsense that's why I love coming here <laughs> yes. so who is your favorite uh, Non-costume character from Batman the Animated Series. I'm going to go like super obscure and say Leslie Thompson. Oh, Leslie. Because oh, okay. Leslie yeah. is a no-nonsense okay. woman, doctor. She's in the trenches. She's like, you know what? I'm going to find a way to help people without having to dress up like a weirdo. Uh, yeah, and uh, she knows she knows about Batman. She knows about Batman. She's the one who like takes care of him when he's you know, got serious injuries. And I think I could be wrong. She's totally just a cartoon invention, right? Is she no, she's in the comics. She is okay. Then I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Great. So moving on. Words. Uh, we have Jonathan McCabe, and uh, Jonathan adds a lot to the roundtable. Who he has a background in creative writing, and uh, is a writer in his own right. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> that was good. Um, I'm obviously not as good of a writer as John is. But uh, so, uh, and then this is John's third rewatch with us because previously we at the round table have met before. We did Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We did Battlestar Galactica this year. And shout out to John because honestly, the, not, the person who nominated Batman the Animated Series was Jonathan McCabe. Was it? Yeah, it was you. Whoa. Yeah. So, it's true. I love this show. It, it and like it was really a brilliant nomination, which is why like I reintroduced it this year. Um, so John, like, thank you very much for that. And 
Uh, you are doing the lecture next week on old wounds, and it's going to be on television theory, uh, the the final season television theory That's um, right. and writing. And also, John, I just also want to shout out your Instagram, John O'Lantern, because not only for Batman the Animated Series, you have a humorous screenshots from the show, but other rewatches on television that you do. So I really enjoy following you. I recommend uh, oh, you thanks. give him a follow. And who is your favorite... Um, uh, non-costume character on Batman the Animated Series. Well, I, I'm actually also going to say Commissioner Gordon, but for for other reasons. <laughs> no, I can, I'm allowed. I'm allowed. All right, fine, no, I'm the moderator. You got to pick somebody else. Fine. Harvey, <laughs> I no, get I it. Commissioner Gordon is awesome. I get it. But yeah. well, I can I can pick somebody else. Yeah. Okay. Good. Harvey Bullock, and mm. the reason why. The reason why. So, okay. if you look at Bullock before the animated series, he was horrible. He was a horrible, horrible character. I mean, he was just gross, corrupt. Um, by the time we got to Batman the Animated Series, he's still pretty gross, but he's really not that corrupt. We get to see a lot of his backstory. He is really trying, but he's basically saying the same thing that April just said. Like, this is not the way we have to handle crime, and, and this is a set of beliefs that I actually believe in. It's not just me being lazy or corrupt. Batman doesn't belong here. And I, I like the fact that we get that, that point of view from him. I also like the fact that when we finally get to see his apartment, we get these, re <laughs> these really, really cool details. Like, he's got these old pizza boxes and, and, you know, like coffee that he hasn't drank and his apartment smells because he hasn't taken out the trash. That's stuff that I wouldn't expect to see in a half-hour animated series, but we get it with him, and that's really cool. Yeah, I love um, Harvey's, um, I mean, uh, Bullock's... Uh central episode where, yeah. where uh, him and Batman pair up. And it's it's very humorous. You should check it out. I forget what it's called. A Do bullet for bullet. Yeah. Ooh, nice. Very good. Um, okay, so uh, hi. I'm uh, My name is Beth Heinley. I'm the moderator. I'm introducing myself. And I am cosplaying as Harley Quinn today. It's amazing. As, uh, cosplaying is a passion of mine. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, there's a hole ripped in the back <laughs> at the butt. Right now, but it's fine. Second D number two. I've, I've only I haven't been sewing for that long. I'm kind of uh, a novice in that department. Uh, spandex is really hard to sew, by the way. I just yeah. want to point that out. Uh, so Project Runway. Oh, see, I don't watch that show. Maybe I, I should tune in. Um, also, wasn't there like an ex more student on Project Runway? Yeah, that's Runway? my cousin, Dom Ooh. Streeter. Oh, there you go. There you go. Some more fame. Whoa. Uh, the fashion department at Moore is like really impressive, actually. Um, Anyway, okay, well, I'll try. Anyway, I do cosplay, I do performance art, and I draw comics. So uh, Batman the Animated Series makes a lot of sense for me being into it. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I've been really enjoying this rewatch. And I would say my favorite um, on costume character would be Lucius Fox. Oh. <laughs> Who uh, who runs who who runs Wayne Enterprises for Bruce Wayne, and he's also kind of a father figure for Bruce Wayne in a lot of ways. I would say he teeters on the possibility, especially since Morgan Freeman played him in The Dark Knight, that he could be the archetype of the magical black man character, <laughs> which is the only thing I would say is problematic about him. But otherwise, like I love Lucius Fox, and I think it's really cool that. Uh, they, they have him in the show on the animated series. And I'm not sure from the comics, but is he derived from the animated series or the comics? He's comics. 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 Yeah. Cool. 
Very cool. Okay, so uh, I just want—I want to do a shout out actually to Beth since she did shout outs to all of us. Yeah. Since it's October, oh. I just at this on this very day read a, a book that she wrote called Trilogy of Horror. Is that did I get it right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it is both horrifying and hilarious. And if you haven't read it, you should get it right away and read it. It won't take long, and it's great. Thank you, John. The three o'clock book .com. That's my website. And you could buy it there. It's $13. We totally didn't plan that. And um, no, we did it. <laughs> we really did it. Uh, but yeah, I write horror stories uh, in comics. So most comic artists write horror stories. We, we are sick people, individuals. Um, so, okay, so uh, let's get into the roundtable. So basically the way the roundtable is, we, we just watch these episodes. We break it down the topics. We're going to talk about animation, voice acting. Uh, we're going to talk about... Uh, mental illness, feminism, and duality, and I guess we'll start, uh, let's start technical before we get way deep into the psychological, and Stephen, why don't you start us off with animation? Well, uh, I can start off by saying that season three brought hope to my childhood memories of Batman <laughs> being decently animated, because um, <laughs> yeah. the last two sessions, it's just been a nightmare of bad frames and like sliding across the screen and stuff like that. But uh, this season, and um, from 1992 to 1995, Batman was animated by a Tokyo studio called Tokyo Movies, or Tokyo Movie Sensha, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so when I was watching this one, I was like, ooh, someone's been watching like Ninja Scroll, because you would see the fight scenes where they would speed up and slow down time, and weight, like actually had weight, instead of Harvey Dent being able to throw a doctor across the room without any, you know anything happening. <laughs> um, and it was so well-timed and animated and you could, you could see things like uh, the proper use of like a six-frame loop with the like smoke effects where it's just six frames looping but it's really nice and smooth. And I, you know, I was happy again because I was like, oh no, what if all of Batman sucks? And <laughs> I just, what I just like nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> and then watching this, I was like, oh no, 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 it's, it's okay, it's okay. It's just those first couple of seasons. Um, but yeah, and so you can definitely see the Japanese influence um, in the animation because the animators who were working on it were working on like Lupin the Third at the same time and some other um, Japanese uh, movies and television shows. So mm -hmm. you're seeing that mix of uh, American directors with a lot of like Dutch angles and um, folk like when the door slides down and it slides, you see your legs and stuff. Very Western shot mixed mm -hmm. with the Japanese um, aesthetic for action and uh, bubbly liquid. Yeah, bubbly liquid <laughs> and smoke and and showing the environment, which was something we didn't see in previous episodes where we didn't have like the the um, introductory shots, the establishing shots for like mm -hmm. just these weird still you know things. And this one, they're like going over mountaintops and going mm -hmm. over the desert and showing you everything and it was it was definitely a breath of fresh air from the previous episode so yeah the panning shot of calcutta was like mm -hmm. super impressive mm -hmm. too as well um i was really into this well steven um last week you mentioned like because they had like a, a scene with rain mm -hmm. and we also had a scene yeah with rain. yeah i saw that well you saw like two different versions you saw the version where they used like actual rain footage and on a cell and shaking it around but then you saw like the effects animation with like the water going down or when they did the snow, instead of just doing like fake snow, they did a painting of three different panels and just kept looping it over and over again. 
The funniest part, though, is when um, the beginning, Robin um, shoots his little grappling hook up, and that whole scene is rotoscoped. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure it's rotoscoped from an old Batman episode. Really? Because it's almost like that. Yeah, I Because it's the most ridiculous scene. Yeah. When he opens that window, I was like, what's different? Yeah. So there was a little few things. And then, like, when they fall down the avalanche, it's clearly, like, two black dots that they just, like, slid down the screen down the avalanche. Mm -hmm. um, right. But other than that, they did a very good job. The only thing that really threw me off was when he's, um, Rosh is giving the, his monologue, and they switched to the storyboards showing, and it was almost like they had this big plan, yeah. and then they were like, oh, crap, we ran out of money. Let's yeah. mm -hmm. let's just show the storyboards, because it was mm -hmm. clearly the storyboards. Right. Wow. Um, Interesting. So. But I like that, yeah. actually, because it gives more of an effect to the... Yeah. It's like a perfect montage. Yeah, yeah. That kind of reminded me of Hiroshima Monomore. Mm -hmm. like that, that whole sequence was almost lifted directly from that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I thought it was effective. It mm -hmm. also felt cold to me. You know, like, yeah. r th this is race just seeing the total destruction of humanity. Yeah. And it was it was gray. It was cold. It was not emotional. And, uh -huh. you know, like, yeah. uh, it's interesting that they just used the storyboards. Yeah. And yeah. the reason I'm, I'm assuming they used the storyboards is because it had that marker black and white look to it instead of, like, painted stills that you mm -hmm. would see normally if they were to do just, like, a slide transition. Mm -hmm. So right. I'm, I'm not – maybe they were like, oh, this works just as good, and we'll just use that. Or they – they were like, no, we can't, we, we can't put this scene in. Let's just make Let's it a little snappier. Right. So. Interesting. I want to shout out too in the animation. My favorite scene is um, when Batman fights the cougar or panther. <laughs> um, only because I thought like a lot of times, sometimes with cats on Batman the Animated Series, I'm like, do people not know how to draw cats? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and I heard from one of the animators that actually – uh, people would dread being assigned to draw cats, mm -hmm. and I thought that the panther was very well done. Yeah, and I think like so and the whole scene, the whole panning. Yeah, and the, when the panther, the, when he's jumping around, I think that's the animator trying to figure it out. When it was walking back and forth, mm -hmm. it looked rotoscope to me. It looked like they had traced over footage. Oh, okay. So that might have helped with the whole like the smoothness of yeah. it. Yeah, cool. Because it had a very, it had like too many frames. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, all right, so I guess next we'll go into voice acting from there, and that's, Ooh, that that's you, Derek. Um, so we talked a saying. lot about Kevin Conroy last week, um, so I'm kind of kind of leave him out this week unless you guys want to rehash it. <laughs> you know, I, I figure we did a good job. Um, so Alfred is played by this guy named Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Uh, he uh, fun facts about him: he shares a birthday with Kevin Conroy, who does Batman. He won a Purple Heart in World War II, and uh, he worked with pretty much every famous actor from the 50s at mm. some point, including people like, um, oh God, what's his, Flynn, what's his name? Errol Flynn. Errol Flynn. Um, he was so good as Alfred, he played Alfred also in Superman, The New Batman Adventures, um, Static Shock, and Justice League, and sad news, he passed away May 2014 at the age of 95. Mm -hmm. um, I think Alfred, as I mentioned, is my favorite non-costume character character, pardon me, is one of the most standout performances. Um, you see a lot of Alfreds in media, and it's easy uh, to kind of just assume that that's, that's just a simple character, but the amount of emotion and wit and sarcasm and love that he shows in his voice I thought was astounding. Um, so Lorraine Lester, who does um, 
Robin, we haven't yes. really talked too much about. So this guy's pretty much a career superhero voiceover guy. So he has done nothing but voiceover his entire acting career that I could found. A lot of small roles in TV and film. I really tried to find something that he said about his experience at Batman, the animated series. I couldn't find it. So I don't really know how like he reflects on it. But um, he did Robin and then Nightwing and did it for a while. So um, I think that's a testament to how well he does that. Fun things, too. He does the same voice as Robin and Dick Grayson, um, showing that there is some more continuity in, and there's a more center to that character where Kevin Conroy does two voices. So he kind of slips away from the duality. Um, Helen Slater, who does Talia, played Supergirl in 1984. And uh, in, the, yeah. in the early 90s, um, she was pretty much in A-list movies. Like mm-hmm. she starred in City Slickers, for example. Uh, her best friend is Helen Hunt. And <laughs> that's yeah. the way I spell it. <laughs> and I think cool. Talia Al Ghul is another really like like smash home run performance in these two episodes. I think they do a good job giving her a little bit of an accent that gives her a little more of the femme fatale. And um, so, yeah, I'd say that's a home run. Now let's get to the best performance. David Warner, who plays Raish. So, fun facts with David Warner. He was the first actor to ever play Raish al Ghul. Mm. And Mm -hmm. if we think of that, Raish al Ghul in any other form that I can find is always played with a British accent. Um, Which is interesting. It shows how good he was at Raish, that people have now seen Raish as someone who speaks with a British accent. It's also outrageously problematic um, that a character named Raish al Ghul, who is clearly from the Middle East, is portrayed as a British man and now is now a British man. And I think it kind of speaks to one of the points of my lecture is that there is a cost to uh, stereotyping. And that cost is we've kind of robbed a culture of one of its greatest villains, you know, because race really shouldn't be British um, at all. You know, even if he can speak English fluently, you would assume the character who's been alive for as many years as he can can speak many languages. But English should not be his first language. He's clearly from the Middle East. And so I'm very conflicted because I listened to David Warner do yeah. Rachel Ghoul. And from like, even as a boy, I'm like, that's my Batman villain. That's so cool. He's so different. He's so awesome. I love Rachel Ghoul. He likes Batman. You know, he wants to team up with Batman, you know, and is so morally equivalent to Batman. But it's also such, such a deep problem of the show and now how Raish is, is seen. I mean, you know, Liam Nielsen who played him in the Christopher Nolan, a slightly different version called Ra's al Ghul, but it's clearly based upon Raish mm-hmm. is taking the David Warner archetype. Um, so it, it, it's interesting. It's fantastic. And it's also a huge issue for me. Well, he's Scottish though, right? Irish. 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 Hurly, furly, hurly, furly. But it's the whole idea. <laughs> <of> the <Irish. laughs> nice. That was Sorry. the best very, Irish very nice. ever. <laughs> That's like, I used to work in an Irish pub but, with a bunch of Irish but people. I uh, this. Derek, if you, if you listen like... to, to Liam Neeson talk, the voice that he does of Rachel Gould is not his actual Irish accent. Yeah. He Britishes it up. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Derek, isn't there like a, a point in totally different uh, thing, but in Batman Begins where we actually like find out and it's a plot point that Rachel Gould is not Asian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Ken Wananabe. Yeah. 
yeah. So that's kind of even like even that's more. That's just on the, the man taking jobs from marginalized people. Yeah. <laughs> Again. Yeah. In in Batman Begins, they take the idea that dual identities is a weapon, and that Raish Raz in that has weaponized that and tricking Bruce Wayne into thinking someone else is Raz Al Ghul, who is an actual Asian person. And then it turns out, nope, sorry, it's Liam Nielsen, you know, <laughs> which is also mm-hmm. conflicting because I freaking loved it. You know, like, you know, I, I love it, but like you have to separate your enjoyment. Like, of course I love it. You know, I'm a, I'm a white man, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like it's made for me to love it. And like, but that's the problem. Thank you right? for acknowledging that. <laughs> though, seriously. Yeah. Because I know you're sincere about that. I do. I sincerely so I well, It's also you. an audio program. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we need um, to make sure that everyone knows you're yeah. white. Um, so, he's so white. Right. He likes mayonnaise sandwiches. <laughs> I, that's the whitest thing I could come up with. Except for like, on the spot, I was pretty I was white. like Lawrence Welk. Oh, but um, I was going to lose my audience because... Well, I do want a uh, yeah. side uh, note here. Uh, there is an interview uh, on uh, Batman the Animated Podcast with Lauren Lester about oh, really? playing Robin. See? And, well, she don't worry. Yeah. They mostly talk about toys because like, okay. they both collect Batman toys. So it's not yeah. really that informative of an they interview. Also t- they also well, talk you, about my remember? episode next week. So we're going so to chat about that next week. I like. I did listen to the interview. It was like months ago, yeah. though. So yeah. I don't really recall it. But in case you're listening and you are curious for some sound bites, um, the, it, it's like... It's really cool. Yeah, the, uh, the uh, host that? of oh. the show is Justin... I forget his last name. Bieber? No. It is Justin Bieber himself. Yeah, it's Justin Bieber. Baby, baby. Uh, no. But yeah, he's uh, he's like into voice acting himself and runs this podcast and it's it's really great. So you should tune in. Um, all right. So are you, anything else you want to add? Uh, Did we, uh... Yeah. I mean, I think those were the main beats. I mean, obviously, Kevin Conroy is the best actor to ever play Batman. Absolutely. I think we yes, all can agree on Batman. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we said that last week, and we also agree he needs to do some erotica like audiobooks. Yes, <laughs> we all agree. On Which that. we all agree. get on <laughs> that. Yeah. Oh, uh, just other things. David Warner, like he's kind of a big deal too. Yeah. He's been yeah. in everything. <laughs> he is a Shakespearean yeah. trained yes. British actor. He's done. Uh, he's been. He's worked with so many great directors like Terry Gilliam. Um, he's been in famous TV. He's actually done Star Trek twice. Thrice. Thrice, pardon me. Um, That's that temple education. And I think he was was so good at at Raish that there's a ripple that everyone David Warner's their Raish Al Ghul now. Awesome. Okay, so uh, let's move on to the next technical would be costumes, I think, before we get into the real messed up shit. Oh, look, I cursed. Sorry. Oops. All right. So um, let's talk about 1968. Uh, wow, was... I'm going to talk about 1968 too. All right, let's bring it up. Let's 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 open the floor to 1968. It was the cool. age of innocence. It was okay. not. No, it was not. It was one of the first Renaissance eras of Batman. Um, so previously, up until that point, the Brave and the Bold comic series had introduced some successful features like JLA, which is pretty darn successful. But it was in a sales slump. Ooh, my voice is getting louder. Wow. Okay. Um, so the creative team of Cashdan, Boltonoff, Haney, and Adams, we all know who Neil Adams, Adams is, um, came up with the idea of Batman-led stories that were more uncanny and supernatural and less campy and crime-oriented. 
and less focused on Gotham City. So it was a 13-year run when um, Batman faced witches and vampires and immortal beings and the Man-Bat. Um, and he was paired with supernatural heroes from other series like the Dead Man. These tales presented Batman as a capable fish out of water. And the team wanted an adversary from this era to stand out with the rogues gallery. And that's when Raish was created. Um, in Daughter of the Demon, a globe-spanning storyline involving the mysterious powers of resurrection. Uh, so, of the initial illustrations of Raish, Neil Adams said that his look meaning his face and costume had to convey the feeling that he'd lived an extraordinary life long before his features were ever committed to paper. A face is what he said, not tied to any race at all. We see him far outside of Gotham and far beyond the Joker and Two-Face in terms of the scope of his plans. So that ageless, timeless ambiguity of Raish translates into the costume. The Demon's Quest is a very close adaption of Raish's original appearance in Daughter of the Demon, some of the supernatural elements that were fashionable in the day are toned down, but it's here. Raish's otherness is immediately recognizable by his costume, as Derek pointed out in his lecture. The costumes of the bad guys from this era were designed to show otherness, kind of like the whole vampire bride of Satan look for women and the Nostradamus meets the earth standstill for men, which we see in the control booth of this episode with those men in their, like, you know, radiation suits. Um, the episode is a wonderful translation of Raish's costume from the book, mixing the mundaneness of a tie with the bizarre flourish of a cape. And as April said last week in her lecture on Catwoman, the standard supervillain green. And his costumes of the rest of the cast are basically the first half of Raiders of the Lost Ark plus the middle of Lawrence of Arabia. The sweeping pans across the desert are also Lawrence of Arabia, by the way, as is the incidental music. There's also a bit of Moonraker in the control room set. The shirtless bat, bat search scene is just like Lawrence's <laughs> whipping scene. And even has an action figure that looks like this. I want it! <laughs> I'm holding up a, a shirtless <laughs> Demon's Quest Batman action figure. <laughs> Still wearing the cowl. Yeah. Just oh, yeah, the cow. yeah, he's still wearing the cowl. He That's keeps the, the cowl on to show. Because when yeah. Batman it's a mark of honor. <laughs> his desert. Wow. So his desert Batman costume also reminds me of Indiana's outfit in the dig site. Um, incidentally, by the way, uh, the whole costume switch scene where Batman knocks out Omar Sharif, the Omar Sharif lookalike guy, um, it's very classic Warner Brothers, and it's also very yeah, Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. yeah. I could imagine either the Tin Man or Bugs Bunny doing that. Um, There's a formula. And or both. So the costumes of the bad guys in these episodes bank off and reinforce the other's enemy motif, as I said. And it makes me wonder, as we've kind of hit upon, like how much of that is just cartoon shorthand? How much of it is inappropriate? I don't know. I, I don't really know if I can answer that. Um, Raish wears the Anubis mask, which is both patriarchal, because, I mean, he's a misogynist. I, I don't think there's any way around that fact. And when you look at Batman Beyond, if you, if you look at that show and what eventually happens to Talia because of Raish and at Raish's hand, I mean, he doesn't really have much regard for women. He basically kills her because he wants to keep living. Um, but Anubis is also, on the other hand, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's cool. 
But he's also the god of mummification in the afterlife, so how much does a murder really mean? I don't know. Um, <laughs> Raish removes his costume at the end to fight Batman so that they can be on equal footing. I think that he, Raish does see himself on equal footing as Batman. Um, I, but So all of this stuff, this otherness, this, this epic, you know, Lawrence of Arabia stuff, this is all about being epic. It's designed to be huge, like the original comic was designed to be huge. We're immediately uh, clued to it um, because of just, just a few things, the lack of a title card, the cold open, um, the map overlays, which isn't really costuming, but I just wanted to mention it. Also, like that crazy light in Robin's abduction scene, which is kind of like <coughs> Maddie's death scene in Twin Peaks. Like, it's just so absolutely weird. Wait, what? Right? No, I was kidding. <laughs> but it is. It is. Um, so when I first saw the show, looking at all that stuff, specifically like all this stuff that this cost, the, the, the epic otherness that these costumes create, I thought. We've already talked about Star Trek, so I'm going to bring it up again. This is <laughs> this show's best of both worlds. This is a huge and possibly the biggest, most epic episode of this series. Um, so the downside, Talia. Um, <laughs> up till now, Talia, like fickle, in fickle, fickle. When 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 you look at uh, Vertigo, Talia was capable and a supervillain and amazing and here she is an object and her costume has a boob window and I just I don't know I it makes me a little uncomfortable she's really sexy but I don't know how I feel about the way she's depicted or the way she dresses here. yeah they're also in a cave in the, she's barefoot, she's barefoot in a cave in the Himalayas yeah, yeah. she must be cold uh, it's it's clear that they meant that though because yeah. when she comes out and Robin looks at her and then looks at Batman I'm like <laughs> yeah. he's just like, like are you sure you want to leave? Yeah, I <laughs> uh, just got interesting Batman. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's uh, very uh, it symbolizes. I mean, it, it, it we're getting really into my really, topic, which yeah. is feminism. We're getting into our mine too because I, I like mental illness. But, oh yeah. So um, maybe maybe I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it's no, like no, it reinforces uh, Raisha's misogyny and she's barefoot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I think is very, very telling. Well, and I also agree. that costume is taken directly from the comic. It is. Yeah. It's, it's like also just exactly... taken from Pulp Fiction of the time. Yeah. yeah. Right? And maybe I am slut-shaming. And, and if I am, then, I, then I'm sorry and I misunderstood. But I don't know. It gives me question. That's all I have. She does look hot, though. She does look yeah. hot. <laughs> I mean... I was like, well, really, Batman? You're just going to be like, she's so no. basic. She's so basic. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, am, I am a Talia hater. I Me, too. Oh my, Because, like, hater. my OTP is Catwoman and Batman. So I'm, like, uh, not not into this whole Talia mess. Nah. Which is why I'm surprised <laughs> oh, you don't yes. like the Grant Morrison comics. I because he, like, totally messes that all like up. His, it's great. I don't like his style of writing. I just don't. I've okay. never liked him. All right, so uh, anything else, John, you want to no, add? No, that no. was excellent. Thank you. Sure. Snaps. Jazz hands. Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, like, I feel like I'm, I'm going to move in. Should we do mental illness first or feminism? We can do because I think it, uh, why not 
top it off with feminism because I think uh, top it off. So you go be next. like the dessert. So I mean, you go next. So I'll, I'll take next. Yeah, right. Time. That's what you mean by top off. Yeah. Okay, great. The mental illness is the main course, and then I, and then I think feminism is like the, the dessert. Week, yeah, yes. it's just like no, it's like it cleanses. Wow, how like, we are. This it is, is the disturbing. Cleanser. It'll this be conversation. The <laughs> How we negotiate We're also this. discussing food in Gotham City. Dessert <laughs> <laughs> cocktail. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Good no, it's just that the, the topics that I um that I like kind of um parsed out for this episode. I think Beth would like it would be a great lead into yeah. to mm-hmm. you because excellent. Um, I'm down with this. Again, we have to like put out a, a little and disclaimer I'm that none of us are mental health professionals and or professional feminists <laughs> or professional people. Period. Um, <laughs> if you listen to this podcast <laughs> and all of the half-assed things that are going on here, right. but fun, super fun. There um, is a lot of fun, fun. But I did confer with the DMS five. Back in my day, it was a four that was twenty years ago. So they finally upgraded to five. Um, and just um, watching these characters and different types of media, um, they have certain traits that can be related to certain mental illnesses that we can like just touch on. Okay. And with um, Raish, he's totally a narcissist. Yeah. Um, like going back to like Derek's uh, lecture earlier, like I wrote it down a few notes because. Um, Derek um, is a little enamored with Raish. Um, and I'm, I'm like, marry him. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm happy he loses. A little bit. Um, but it's like he doesn't do anything for any altruistic or like um, beneficent, benevolent way. He's a narcissist, like textbook Ted Bundy narcissist. Um, Finally. Yeah, and Finally, it's just Ted like, Bundy got that. Yeah. <laughs> We've all I been can't waiting. shake a stick without hitting somebody who is into Ted Bundy. Um, Sorry. But no. I'm more an Anne Rule than Ted Ten Bundy, I should say. Yeah, and you're like Ayn Rand, too, which is like, I find that I don't disturbing. like Ayn Rand. We're rabbit holing pretty okay, hard. Okay, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I think it all, because Anne, I mean, she's also a narcissist, too. I mean, Technically, I just want everybody to know, to stay for the record, that I am not into Ayn Rand. <laughs> Can you imagine that you actually but, had to say that? Like, yeah, like, I just want to say that. <laughs> Only okay. if it's the Gideon. I was um, just saying that Batman is Francis um, Francisco Danconia from okay. Atlas Shrugged, yeah, and yeah. I'm totally right. Yeah. And that's yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> Our no. emails, let me tell you. And right, I think, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to get back on track. Uh, yeah, let's the fact it. that uh, Raish, when we first introduced him, we know who he is. He, has, he wears a mask of Anubis, which is an, an Egyptian god of death. So he, I mean, it's already foreshadowed who he is and what he's about. So um, to have that level of ego to put yourself on par with a god of death is, I mean, it's the height of megalomania Mm -hmm. to me. Um, And I think it's a very uh, valid um, assessment of his personality in, in these terms. Um, as for Batman, Batman has a personality disorder too, um, which um, people probably can debate it, but he exhibits symptoms of obsessive compulsive disorder. 
And that was one of the things that draws me to Batman because it's like so relatable in that respect because I also am an obsessive yeah. compulsive person. I'm really glad you brought that up because I've been, yeah, I'm the same way with um, things. I'm an obsessive person and like I, I definitely relate to that with Batman as a character. Yeah, so yeah. when you say uh, April has like all his knowledge, because April becomes upset, and I'm referring to myself in the third yeah. person, which I hate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah. it's like I, I find something that I like or I find something that I find intriguing mm-hmm. and I try to mine the crap out of it until I can't mine anything else or I just get bored of it. And move to the second thing. And that's, I think, what makes um, these two very, um, not different characters, parallel in, in a way. Um, Ration Batman. Yeah, yeah. Ration Batman. Because, again, the level of narcissism that Ration exhibits, only someone as worthy as, as himself could carry on his his life's work, whatever that is. Um and deem himself worthy enough for, I mean, misogyny aside, he does love his daughter to a, a significant degree, I think. Not to the point where it will interfere with his own idea of how the world should operate or, you know, how he leaves the world after he's gone. But he still loves her. Yeah, but yeah. also I definitely think... I, I don't know. I don't know how much he loves her to tell you the truth because when she turns on him, I think it's in the Avatar episode, and he says like, "Oh, and the, like you know, they say that uh, your offspring is your chance to be immortal," and he like completely disowns her though because like she betrayed him or whatever. I just think that was like, I don't know, really misogynistic on his. Part. Oh, and he's, oh, he's totally misogynistic. But I think he's still. I mean, the fact that. Uh, if we go to the Vertigo episode, she's uh-huh. very capable. She's yeah, excuse me. She's even more diabolical in the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 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 irony is she's the most like him. Like Raish or like Batman? Oh, she's like Raish. Okay, I agree she's there. like yeah. a yeah. duplicitous yeah. mofo. Um, he need not look any further. Any further, there. and it's yeah. just like she's kind of like a queen and um. Substitute. If we want to get back into history, uh, I'm not Queen Anne. Queen Elizabeth II, um, when Henry VIII was, you know, all his wives because he, he couldn't have a son, and it was basically his fault because he has an X chromosome. Anyway, um, <laughs> they didn't know that then. No, I'm you know, totally I'm not, not King Henry. You apologize. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he no. didn't do this. It's okay. <laughs> Henry, Unrest. Yeah. I, well, I know thy enemy, friends. <laughs> and know thy friends, enemies. <laughs> no, it's just um, we, we see these parallels in history, and that's what informs our modern-day mythology, which our comic books provide for us. Because we don't have, you know, Herodotus. We don't have Plato, you know, we, we've got Tyler Perry and uh, Nicholas Sparks. So we have to derive our, you know, this is where we get our, our mythology. This is where we get our lore. You know, this is where we get our fantasy life and have it incorporated and backtrack to our history that informs everything that we do. And, I, you know, I just find it was interesting um, that there is like that kind of like Queen Elizabeth II like parallel with these two. Because, like I said, in the comic book, she's, like, ruthless. 
Mm. Um, here, she's none. We'll lead into your uh, part of the. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm going to go, okay, so from there, okay, we'll talk about feminism. Um, I'm going to go from Tyler Perry to <laughs> Roxanne Gay, who is a feminist writer that um, I wanted to talk about this week. And mostly, like, uh, I'm referencing uh, her book, Bad Feminist. And um, basically, Roxanne Gay is a, a feminist writer who, who talks about uh, and disseminates feminism within popular culture trash literature like she writes about twilight and sweet valley high and like all that kind of fun stuff um but like totally disseminates as she does articles on uh tyler perry and um that kind of world uh and uh yeah roxanne gay is a black female writer female identifying writer uh and so i just with that leading into i want to talk about Basically, when I got feminism this week, I was like, yes, this is going to be so easy because Rachel Ghoul, like, come on, like, I could break this down, right? Um, misogynist. Uh, he's the, and also, like, coming off of your 1968, uh, because that's when the comic was reintroduced right. and written. Yeah. And also, it's the rise of the uh, women's liberation movement. Um, and I was thinking maybe there was a, and uh, you know, correlation there between creating this villain who is this blatant misogynist um, character. And even in the show, they reference it like uh, like Batman in the Avatar, like um, because uh, Raish is is uh, in search of thought. Capera, it's not thought, it's thought. But um, that's my little joke, which nobody got unless you're on the internet. <laughs> And uh, basically, uh, she's a uh, e Egyptian goddess that's like you know all powerful. Basically, she's a succubus, mm. and um, Raish is after her for to seek power because mm -hmm. he's the demon. The demon is the incubus, so uh, perfect pairing. But in any case, when um, Talia is relaying to Bruce Wayne that you know her father's like after this like you know, uh, Egypt, ancient Egyptian goddess and, you know, Batman or Bruce Wayne, whichever you prefer to refer him as, uh, <laughs> says that's, that's really ironic for the, you know, biggest misogynist in the entire world to be like, you know, mm -hmm. after a female adversary. So, um, yeah, so in any case, and then coming down to, um, from that, speaking about the bad feminist essay by Roxane Gay, I do want to mention that Rachel Ghoul is also 600 years old. Mm -hmm. And Roxanne writes about like one thing with feminism that is really complicated is, is language and, and culture, which is even in by today's standards because of the internet and information moves really fast, is changing at like a rapid, rapid pace. So let's give Raish, let's give him like a, a hundred years, let's say, from the 90s to see like why he thinks it's acceptable that he can't have his daughter take over his empire and he has to marry her off. Um, so, which leads me into um, being a race apologist <laughs> and, <laughs> and also bringing up the women's liberation movement, AKA white feminism, and move into uh, Jane Austen. Who's my favorite? Yeah, I just went through like a Jane Austen binge. Um, and basically, uh, I consider Jane Austen feminist writing. And also people, 
a critique, you know, because it's a they're romance novels essentially. But if you actually read her novels, they're about critiquing um, uh, high class society yeah. and how women are treated as mm -hmm. property. The last chapter of Sense and Sensibility, spoiler alert, is a marriage contract. Mm -hmm. That's how it, it ends. It's a detail on on how the characters, the female characters in the book our property, and how they're being exchanged to their husbands. Now, that's hilarious. <laughs> and I, I really think that kind of sharp wit is missed on a mm -hmm. lot of people sometimes. Um, also, let me uh, go in here. Emma is one of my other favorite, which is Emma is like definitely about intersectional feminism in the sense where the lead character is a woman of high class and wealth and she her best intentions are to help those around her but she's completely blind because of her own privilege she's mm -hmm. not actually able to um she actually ruins everyone's lives well <laughs> but you know it's a lighthearted novel so everything works out um but uh, i which calls to um clueless from 1995 uh -huh. it's like the best uh remake of emma ever if you want to like watch that um to visit Alice it instead of Right. Um, Amy, Amy Heckerling. Heckerling. And basically, like, so I, I think, like, the fact that Talia is put in this position as a piece of property in this um, episode is problematic. And, you know, we all have issues with it. But remember, and I do think that it's on purpose. I don't think the writers are ignorant of that. And that it's to create a villain who mm -hmm. is blatantly misogynist. Now, are we ever going to be okay with Talia because of that? Probably not. Like, I mean, it's really hard to accept her from, you know, the Off Balance episode, or is that what it was called? Off Balance? Vertigo. Vertigo. Yeah. And um, and then go into this, oh, like, where she's... Maybe it is Off Balance. I'm sorry. I think yeah. it is Off Balance. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Where she is, like... Where, like, she's this completely capable character into, like, being a property of her father's, you know. So, but now let's not, like, I'm saying that this has been an issue for um, the women's liberation movement for hundreds and hundreds of years is to get it through our society's head that women are not a matter of property. But marriage in today's standards by feminism is still uh, uh, an important subject of debate because we have... Um, it's basic civil rights. I mean, we have gay marriage is like, I feel like a major part in equality and that feminists are, you know, obviously highly concerned about. Um, and, and, and really, again, what it comes down to, do you need to get married to like prove that, you know, uh, you're with someone till the end of your life? No, it really is actually still about property mm -hmm. and rights. And that's why it's still important that everyone mm -hmm. has that equal right to to get married. Um, but, uh, yeah, let's see. What else did I have besides? A lot there. I, I mean, it's, it's interesting well, that, that Talia is the key to undoing the whole nefarious plan, right? She slips Batman that. The tongue. Yeah, the tongue and <laughs> the file or the, the bobby pin or whatever to, to get him out. Yeah, and in the comics as well, it's not a file. There's something else that she, there's a kiss that she exchanged. Like, I think it's like a vial of gas or acid or something that he uses to get away. Yeah. So it does happen in the, in the comics as well. Right. I mean, yeah, there's definitely some, you know, but the fact that her motivations and that she's torn between two men is, I would say, anti-feminist because her, like, I feel like Cat, oh, damn it, Catwoman, 
See, it's I love Catwoman. It's hard not to talk about Catwoman's motivations are not not um, about a dude, about a yeah. guy, and Talia's are. So, regardless of like all the misogyny that's going on through Raish, who is our villain, who is intentionally misogynist, I think where it gets a little like blurry is within Talia's character as a strong female lead because she's not. She's motivated by her male partners. Either it's either Batman or she would Rich. not pass the Bechdel test. I have yeah, I have the Bechdel <laughs> test. The Bechdel test for everyone is two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. And we could say we could go to the Batgirl and Catwoman episode, right. which is really awesome. Yeah. We have Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn. Their paired episodes are, are really incredible mm -hmm. um, in, in that sort of way. Also, Alison Bechdel, I just want to say, is a comic artist of her own yes, right that is. you yep. should yep. check She's out a, her work. And we raised her last week in our, in our um, roundtable. And also, like uh, again, blatant... Uh, like Raish quoting Napoleon. That was one thing. <laughs> he was I put name in here. dropping. Name dropping. Anyone who like holds up Napoleon for life advice, let me tell you. <laughs> Not your friend. Um, they may be a fascist. I was going to go into that whole yeah. Alba thing. But I got you. Like, um, and basically, so uh, women aren't property, duh. Uh, if you want to <laughs> laugh about it and learn like how far, how far we've, come surprisingly like from and it's only been a hundred years between um women being deemed um property to be traded to you know today's standards and um again circling back to the roxanne gay essay on um feminism as a movement because right now technically i mean i've heard there's waves of the feminist movement stemming and it all stems from the women's liberation movement in the 70s in Western culture. And so there's first wave, second wave, third wave. I've heard that there's fourth wave feminism as well, which is um, feminism on the internet. Um, so in any case, language changes really, really quick. And I, I so I, when I say women or I'm talking about females, I want to make sure that everyone understands that I'm talking about female identifying people and, right. and not just vaginas. So... Okay. Like my I mean, so that's like another title. thing. Not, not just, just vaginas. Yes. Not all vaginas. No. Oh God, I can't believe I just said that. Nothing but vagina. Just shut up while you're ahead. I'm talking to myself. <laughs> that's the opposite apparatus. Um, yeah, I should take a cue from white feminism and shut the fuck up right now. Um, woo! Anyway, uh, yeah, that was basically. I wanted to talk about Jane Austen, who I think is hilarious and Jane talks Austen. about. Uh, each of her novels are about women being um, turned into, um, about women critiquing society of like, you know, women being. There's a class issue with Jane Austen's novels, which I would say, which Batman definitely has as well. Sure. Um, because yeah. Talia is an upper class. I mean, who of the lower class society does Batman even actually associate with? Catwoman. On the show? When he oh, Catwoman. catches Malone. Well, Catwoman in the Catwoman comics is, is lower yeah. class. Like, yeah, well, she's she, from the streets, but in the, she's from the streets. in the show, it's a little weird. Selena has that penthouse. So she, um, yeah, because she basically stole all her, her rich friend's money and and jewels and shit. Yeah, that's how Catwoman gets That's by. how she rolls. She's that's Robin Hood. She, she's a Robin Hood. Right. And I feel so, like there is a, a constant class argument being like danced around yeah. in Batman that what I like about Raish is that he attacked that. He comes right out and says, you know, you and your rich billionaire friends, like I've been around for a mm -hmm. long time, you guys are majorly destroying the world. Yeah, yeah but he's been around for a long time. What has he done in the intro? Yeah. He's got his own satellite. 
Oh, that lake costs money. I'm not defending. I'm, I'm not defending him. Yeah, he's so very just, rich and powerful. That is a symptom of uh, his narcissism. Oh, one hundred percent. That's Rajagul. And his camels. But that is not at all the argument I'm making. My, my point that I'm making yeah, is that yeah, they dance around class, and yeah. Raish is the only character up to this point that literally will say will throw class issues at the hands of the wealthy. Now, whether he his solutions are bad. Uh, but he's, is, <laughs> he part of the problem? Yes. Yes. is he, he part of the problem? Yes. Yes. Is he part of the problem? Yes. Dynamic zoom in when he brings it <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah. Which is really rare he's in that so show. so salty. Yeah. But he's a hypocrite. Because well, he's got strongholds. Okay. He's got multiple strongholds. He's like, oh, no, don't worry about this. But we're just going to go to the like, desert. But you have to think he's about like, it like this. this. His loyalty is to the planet because the no, planet gives him life. No, this right? loyalty so the, is to himself. But yes, you're absolutely right that he's a narcissist. I'm not arguing that. The reason why he wants people to die is because if the planet <laughs> if the planet dies, so do the Lazarus pits. So his access to immortality will be cut off. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. it is absolutely yeah. part of the narcissistic paradigm. That doesn't mean though he's not he's defining the problem correctly though. And I would you know? I want to say that also Batman is the typical rich like asshole because then when he's like oh he's dying let's put him in the Lazarus Lazarus pit pit why can't I say that it's he's tough. been alive is for 600 years why didn't Batman go uh maybe it's time for him to die, die. Yeah. I, don't like, think, I don't think Batman believes him I think Batman was like all right fine we'll just dip him out. yeah this is all bullshit <laughs> <right>? <laughs> <laughs> I want to see how this works. I, yeah. That whole thing, like, I guess, yeah, all right. Yeah, told me. He's like, let him die. I just put a dead body in some bubbling water. And it'll come back. It, I'm going to try it. Like, also, you know, why not? Yeah. <laughs> Batman, Batman has also a touch of narcissism himself. Mm-hmm. In, in, yeah. That's why, that's why he never calls him Batman. Yeah, he calls, he calls him, him detective. detective. Yeah. And Batman. And she never calls scene, him anything but beloved. Right. Mm. You know. And in the scene where they are debating the deforestation, he says, Bruce Wayne has done this. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah, further refers, showing yeah. the splintering that Batman is the real self and Bruce Wayne is yeah. the actual mask. Right. Well, the fact that he has his yeah. mask. And this is the one episode, and anybody can call me on this, where we've seen him with his mask off the most. And the presence of people not in his circle. Unless yeah. he has his shirt off. Then he has a mask on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 then, then it's business hours. You know what? This might be the only time we see him, and probably not the only time, but one of the few times we see him with his mask off in the back camp. Yeah. yeah. And that is only... It is. It's the first one. It's, it's the first time. Yeah. James. It's only for narrative purposes. James. You look like you... He did it because he had mail for Bruce Wayne. Right. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Oh, exactly. So he, exactly. It is hell. It is. You're right. <laughs> Excellent, so point, James. James. Excellent point. Excellent point. And I think I had like made notes over probably my other notebook, but I made like the same observation and just like he is effing nuts. Yeah. And that's it. why that's why he yeah, he lets him keep his, you know, cap and cow on. Because he realizes, oh, I'm not interested in Bruce Wayne at all. I'm only interested in Batman marrying my daughter. Mm-hmm. I don't care about. So this, yeah. you're Bruce, you're Batman now. That's what I want to keep you as. And he has yeah. no vested interest in destroying Batman. Yeah, he he says it's an honor to to have Batman here with him. Mm-hmm. You know, which is one of the things why I love him as a villain is because he he's not an opposite of Batman. He doesn't want to destroy Batman. He doesn't look at Batman as an impediment to his plan. Mm-hmm. And they are both moral absolutists. You know, in in an equal way, 
Bruce Wayne or Batman's moral absolute is he can't kill, which to the point about the Lazarus pit being lowered. Yeah. I think the reason Batman has to do that is because morally, if he can keep someone alive, it is his code that he has to. Yes. Unless he's going to blow up an ammo depot and kill everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. <laughs> point. That's a good point. Do you have enough time for like... Um, well, actually, well, we actually have to cover duality, um, which, oh, wow. Derek, you gave an excellent lecture... Maybe you can like quickly go over the duality section of your lecture. Talk yeah, about Ration, yeah. Batman. So like uh, everything in in the Batman animated series, everyone is formed by Gotham, and Gotham is the catalyst. And Gotham creates the equals and opposites that Batman is always wrestling with, including Bruce Wayne, including um, everything from Daggett, the opposite Bruce Wayne businessman, to Two Face, to the Joker. Rache is free from that. Rache is not formed by Gotham, right? Sorry to the sidebar here. Sure. But I really, the Daggett-centric episodes do <laughs> do talk about class yes. a lot. Like, yeah, they do. Um, so if, since we were just talking about I would saying, argue, I would direct we you to some this, of those. I would Sorry. argue very uh, um, disingenuously. <laughs> because, oh, okay. Yeah, I would argue that they disingenuously talk about class. Class is the object in which Batman can battle this other villain. And right, so class is this this part in the play where where Batman is like he has to be sort of cast as pro poor somehow. When in reality, Batman is very anti poor. You know, in, in actual functionalness, like he beats up poor people. Did you not like, see the clip yeah. that I, I sent yeah. you guys? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas whereas I feel like Rache taught like mentioning like by the way these crimes are also on you is the first time someone actually weaponizes class against Batman instead of class being part of the struggle in which Batman is inherently like there. So like, yeah, Daggett wants to wipe out a, a whole city block so that he can build luxury condos mm-hmm. and Batman has to stop him. Yeah. Batman doesn't stop him because he's against real estate development. He has to stop him because it's murder. Yeah. You know, okay. so it's not really about class in, in a sense, you know, and, and Daggett's just rich and greedy, but then we get Bruce Wayne who is also rich, but somehow not greedy. Yeah, that's like, fair, but yeah, I, like, and so I, because he inherited he's it. He's generous okay. with his nighttime, um, because he he does that work for free. Say. I mean, yeah. he's not getting paid as he's Batman. No, just kidding. I think that Leslie's uh, <laughs> <laughs> <I think laughs> like stationing though in that in Crime Alley kind of yeah. complicates that. Yeah. yeah, right, because she she is not of the upper class and i kind of think that batman's motivation for fighting daggett in that episode is based on his loyalty to her right and his love for her yeah yeah well daggett's Maybe. always trying to really mess with the poor people of gotham That's all true. of his episodes yeah and yeah, the original farmer bro to farmer bro you're pharma, to, pharma, oh, pharma. Oh, pharma. I was like, pharma. what? Was like, Sorry, that, that West Philly accent just came out. But yeah, uh, one. that's like one thing I... Uh, sorry. Anyway. Yeah, uh, right. All fan, fine points. Bit. We were talking duality, you think? Yeah. yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, we're talking about duality. Go, go ahead, Derek. So, I mean, I love that Raish not being a Gothamite, not formed from Gotham, he ends up representing the other civilization of Batman. Yeah. And that the duality is, is the... You know, this is what the superhero looks like in the West and the mm-hmm. superhero looks like in the East. And of course, that means that from a Westerner perspective, the Western is the hero and the Eastern actually turns out to be a villain. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think that's the real duality. I love how big this episode is. It gets out of Gotham in a major way, but it casts all of these settings 
purely as archetypes of what Westerners would think they would be, mm -hmm. rather than being genuine representations of the actual other areas or other cultures. Yeah, it, well, it's, yeah, and you have all there of these, like of, religious iconography, uh, like peppered throughout the the word the infidel. Yeah. So like is a huge cue that people that are against race are infidels. So he is raised to a more uh, godlike level mm -hmm. in which people then worship, whereas people also worship Batman, but they worship them in the uh, American worship. consumerist yeah. way. Mm -hmm. You know, so they people still worship Batman, but they don't. They but the enemies they of Batman, choice. they don't call infidel. You know, yeah. like so a, they they very much Easternize and otherize Raish and his world. Even like when we first see Raish, they play this like little oboe music, like yeah. Ooh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. oh, I didn't realize he wasn't from Gotham. Let's play the oboe, and I think it's it's both on the nose and great, and also on the nose and terrible. I like how so, Gotham's in Jersey. And like you know, oh, it's Jersey. Up. It's Camden. It's, it's totally, totally Camden. Wait, oh wait. There was an interview I was also listening to of a writer, Chuck. Wait, who wrote Bane in the comics? He's the one who wrote Bane. Chuck Dixon. Yeah, and he's from Philly. And they were asking him. He also wrote a bunch of the Nightwing, and they were asking him his city influences. And he was like, Camden, New Jersey, <laughs> is totally. because he's like, it is like the saddest place on. It's like the city that's been forgotten. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. I, I also want to point out that, like you mentioned, uh, Ross has he's got like the the desert base, right? Yeah. Well, Bruce has got a Nepal base. Yeah. Like, that, that, was, that was really true. funny. Yeah, we haven't even talked about that. Yeah, the the Nepal. Bruce Wayne Nepal. Yeah, Nepal. Yeah. Wayne I think we're, Nepal. this is turning into like, we actually don't like Batman. I love Batman. I love Batman. For the record, we all love Batman. You will know I when I hate something. Because I will be very vocal about it. Just listen to I, I, our Battlestar Galactic <laughs> Um, You're all laughing. What, okay, so here. now let's uh, talk yes, about the duality of Robin and Ubu. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, it's, there is a gender reversal in here where Robin becomes the damsel in distress. Yeah, good which point. I kind of yeah. love that. Yeah, it kind of subverts like that whole thing. He should have worn his thermal. He should have worn his thermal. Wait, that's right, because yeah. I wanted I'm you to mention here, like what. Robin didn't seem like he was in that much distress. He was just kind of chilling. In I the was chair. waiting for him to be oh, like, he, oh, he was like dressed up like a, like a Christmas turkey. It got a little rapey there for a second. And then, and then he gets, uh, they, Batman they starts fighting, him. and Robin doesn't even try to, like, I'll break him out my bonds to help Batman. He's just like, He's what? just laid up, just another Tuesday. <laughs> I'm tied up to a chair. What are What is your guys' theory why Robin has to break <clears throat> into his own dorm room? So that he doesn't betray his identity to his... Uh... But he has the loudest costume ever. It's not conducive to sneaking. Okay, here's my other question then. Uh, do you have a framed picture of your dad in your bedroom? That was nice. <laughs> <laughs> however, however... His name is dad. I just want to say this. His name is dad. Or, what, whatever is his if adopted my, dad. If his... my adopted father was Batman, you better believe I would. <laughs> yeah. I have a framed picture of Batman in my bedroom. I know. Okay. Y'all weird. There you go. All right. Sorry. What? Uh, Duality. Yeah. Okay. It's great. Yeah. It's the, it's, say, the, it's the main theme of the series, right? Yes. It is the basic core of who Batman is. And the idea that we all struggle with who we are is the a universal theme uh, that I think everyone deals with and why Batman hits with us because Batman is constantly struggling with who he is. 
though he is wealthy, powerful, handsome. He can kick anyone's ass. He I like can, how you like, added handsome to this. He's very handsome. I like, like, no homo. He's like ripped. But he's no, like, like your uh-huh. Brenner, like ripped, like that kind of like barrel chest. He has like, the old Errol Flynn body. Right. He you know, really Errol, does. Errol Flynn was like kind of thin. I would say he was more like a Fred McMurray type. Mm. Fred McMurray is like big yeah. and barrel chest. Your references are really, really good. <laughs> <We're old. laughs> this is why I love April. This is why I love it. Dude. All right. Okay. Full disclosure, I used to rub him out to like watching. Like, All right. <laughs> That will not make it in the podcast. <laughs> so I, I, I accept the consequences. But no, it's like, and we talk uh, about like Lawrence of Arabia. We, we, there's a lot of like Ben-Hur type stuff and Spartacus going on. It's, there's so many influence, cinematic influences in this show. That makes it even more enjoyable for me because I am a giant movie nerd too. There's even a Casablanca reference. Yeah, there is. Yeah. 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 yeah, when oh, the yeah, plane and right, he yeah. kisses her on the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's no Elsa though. She's a basic. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> how did I, I not talk about that. basics when I was talking about feminism? That's like a main uh, thing. I was letting you have your bitches. Yeah. Uh, so, does anyone yeah. have questions from the audience? Because if you don't, we're gonna have to talk about uh, what we think Batman's political alignment is. Oh, is he Republican, that. Democrat, or libertarian? libertarian? He's totally libertarian. No, just kidding. We won't do it. Any questions? Um, Wait, James. Let me, let me bring over the. Uh, you, br- you really think I need the mic for this? Maybe, I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> so, I, I have a problem with the science of the Lazarus pit. <laughs> Understandable. And I, and I think my problem is I, I get to watch too many animated things that are made for adults now, and I forget uh-huh. that there are a lot that are still made for kids. And then I watch something like this, and I go, what the fuck is going on? Like, did they not put any thought into maybe suspending some disbelief? Because, because like, okay, the Lazarus pit. Mm-hmm. If you go when you're dead, it'll fix you. Yeah. Don't go when you're alive. <laughs> it'll fix you the other way. And you have to be slowly lowered into it on a slab. Uh-huh. But to come out, you are ejaculated. Uh-huh. <laughs> Isn't that how it works? You are insane. You are like murderously insane. Uh Uh-huh. But it's okay because it can be cured with a slap to the face. (laughs) That's it. Not just a slap. Or some smelling salt. It was a bitch slap. So what's your critique? (laughs) Yeah. So that children don't understand. Look, the writers had to do that so that when he said he was gonna blow up all the Lazarus Lazarus. Pits. Why can't I say Lazarus? Lazarus. Lazarus. It is a hard. It's a, it's a hard. Anyway, when he made consonant. a decision to blow him up all around the world, it was going to kill like 2.5 billion people, and so they had to make it a point of that. So that's yeah, why there's all those rules. The, the population was three billion people when that came out. So that's yeah, like, like a lot of people. Because it was that's just basically. It would literally be yeah. only people who were on the verge of death would actually yeah. survive. Yeah. Um, the explosions. Well, and the the other thing is that I think it is a it is supposed to be supernatural. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And the, everyone is trying to understand it more chemically. They talk about it as a chemical, but no, they mention that no one really truly understands it. There's nothing specific and about it like is that. Chemical also supposed makeup, to be unholy. Though. You know, like it is supposed to be. I I would definitely say it's no accident. It's called Lazarus. You know, it's absolutely about 
turning the, the holiness of resurrection on itself and making resurrection something unholy and evil. And the resurrection done for the, pur- the purposes that Raish wants to do are, are going to be perverted. So he comes out perverted. It, it doesn't actually help life. It hurts life. You know, even though its main gift is life, I think is the, the metaphor. In terms of like the actual mechanics, I, I think it is supposed to be magical in nature. Yeah. So it's like a moot point to have a problem with the science. Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 <laughs> I think we get, go with it. We get two big cues, think, yeah. right, to, to, yeah. the, to the paranormal aspect of it. And mm-hmm. one is the whirlwind, which whenever you see like that, that whirlwind Ooh, effect very in good an animation, mm-hmm. yeah. we know that there's something supernatural. But going it's on. also a common within like um, occult and mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then also, I mean, stuff. yeah. Obviously, the red eyes, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like oh, Raish's yeah. eyes glow yeah. red. That is not a natural. I think, I think it's that's also not like normal. That injection no. is supposed to be like it's alive, right? Uh-huh. Like yeah. it's, yeah. it's placing him back up on top after. Yes. it's possessed it. I'm not gonna lie. I love Derek's explanation. It was so good. Yeah, that was like thank you. Perf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Now, since we have an animator, I have animation. <laughs> oh yes. Okay. <laughs> Reaction. Yeah. They, do a, they try to work so much with facial reactions in these two episodes, but they seem so yeah, weird I, and off. I think my, my best guess at that is that you have a bunch of Japanese artists looking at English storyboards right. and making their... <laughs> that's, that's honestly yeah. what I was wondering. Like, did they just like mistranslate? Yeah, just like their best guess at like, okay, it, uh, he's looking at her like this. I don't understand why, but yeah. <laughs> let's just... Yeah. Let's just try to follow I it. Do you, are yeah. you talking specifically about the awkward moment when Robin is looking at Batman and he's like, should we do you know, it? looking at Talia. There were times when like... like and Robin's like, let's get kinky. Rachel <laughs> and all of a sudden, Batman looks angry about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, or, or when he's he smirking. presses, when Rachel presses the self-destruct button on uh-huh. his thing, he looks... Alarmed and shocked. Yeah. As ah. though he knew it was that there was a self-destruct button and it was going to self-destruct, but whoever built that for him told him it was going to do something totally. Yeah. Different. <laughs> <laughs> it just starts falling. He's right. Like, wait. 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 Uh, wait. Self-destruct. I thought this was good. I'm really dog. glad that that question was asked because it it's, it it allows me to give a shameless plug for next week. Because yes, shameless next plugs. week we are going to see a complete change in the animation. Mm-hmm. And I think that Bruce, Tim, and Paul Dini would agree with you mm-hmm. that, that things like that happen. And, and that's actually the reason why the animation was so streamlined and changed for the four seasons. So that, that translation from storyboard to overseas animation would be more consistent and mm-hmm. make more sense. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. actually what I'm going to talk about next week in my lecture. So, awesome. so stay tuned. So stay tuned. So and come, come back. back next week. Come back. Same bet time. Yeah. Great segue. Same yeah. bet. Um, any other questions? Any other Anybody? questions or concerns? Oh, come on. Batman questions. Oh. Yes, so Megan. So at the end with the Casablanca scene, like <clears throat> he kisses Talia, and you're like, oh, how much is his refusal of Raish's proposal? that he doesn't want to be the leader of an evil syndicate, and how much is it that he actually thinks she's a person? Huh. Great maybe, maybe question. He was just returning the key. I don't know. Good. I, <laughs> think, <laughs> yeah, he's like, I think it's more <laughs> well, that he can't be married to anybody but Gotham. Yeah. 
Well, no, he Batman is like the most self-righteous person ever. Oh, okay. I mean, so there's no way he could ever actually commit to Talia because she's a murderer and she's an evil supervillain. He could never, but uh, does he want to tap that? Yeah, he wants to tap that. What's that? I I I really hope that that? the scene that they didn't show. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, they cut to Robin in the plane, and then they cut to Batman and Talia, and mm-hmm. the Batman starts walking to the plane, and he comes back and kisses her and walks the plane. And I hope the scene that was supposed to be next was Batman getting in and turning to Robin and being like, that's how you do it. <laughs> I also, I want to point out when Batman washes his mouth out. Because <laughs> that is very important. To, on, to no. my no, Come because on. she's evil. He's like, yes, I wanted to kiss her. And then he gets thirsty. on the plane. He washes his mouth out. He did just that battle in a desert. He might just be parched. Oh no, is thirsty. Have you ever short fought in the Sahara? It's thirsty. Talia is hella thirsty. She is. She I, is so I like thirsty. to think of it of him washing his mouth out. I like it. It's my fan fiction, and I'm sticking to it. Of all of the lies and de- deceit, he's like you. But I also think it's part of woman. Batman's moral conviction to not be in a relationship. It's one, it's the wall he's built psychologically because relationships are painful, mm-hmm. you know? And yep. so all of his actual functional relationships are part of the Bat family. Which he's Talia's got abandonment not, issues. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's also a recognition that Batman can't be married. Yeah. You I just know? want to but, clarify that no one said it was because she was a human and shouldn't be yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought we covered that. I thought we covered that in the Jane Austen. But she was like a willing participant in that. Oh, Batman's. I think I definitely am. I'm not convinced that Batman is, is completely not a misogynist. I'm not convinced. So I do think that he's kind of like, I don't think he thinks yeah. she's property, but I, yeah. I think Batman lightens up on his misogyny as the show goes on. Should we talk about like, Batman like, versus Superman, Dawn of Justice? No. Oh, no. no we no. really should. This should never be brought up. And man, is he a pig in that. Oh, my God. Man, he's awful in that. I oh, love God. when he like grabs Wonder Woman's arm and she's like, please, that do is... not touch me. That was so good. <laughs> well, she, Sorry. She would break him down like an MF impression. I want to see her beat the shit out of him. On that same vein, do you think Batman actually does have feelings for Talia? Oh yeah. oh yeah! Oh, he's Definitely. got some hard yeah. feelings. He special pants feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he yeah, he's got he's yeah. got some hard feelings for Talia. If I think as much as Batman can possibly love anyone, he loves he Talia. Likes Talia. And likes that, yeah. Spoiler <laughs> alert, fans, uh, people. They have a kid. Batman don't kid. wear jimmies. Right. Yeah, but not in this universe. But no, in this universe. Yeah, it, yeah. it's canon that it's, they have yeah. a son. Mm-hmm. Damon Wayne comes up. Yeah. It's not canon. It's in an alternate universe that Catwoman and Batman have a daughter. That's Helena Wayne, who's the Huntress. But it's canon that the they have that's a daughter. Earth too. The Sorry. Why, the reason why I say <laughs> that is that on a certain uh, level, uh-huh. Batman is rejecting the patriarchy. He is true. rejecting oh, that's this, true. Yeah. this yeah. whole idea that Very I need good. to marry your daughter because we both love each other. He's like, no, so I can inherit that. you. So on yeah. a certain level, I think you, your question is apt. I think there has to be, I don't think it's present as thematically in the show, but if you follow it logically, there has to be a rejection of, of that and an acknowledgement that Talia is a sentient human being capable of choice. I know? think he has affection for her. I don't think he's All in right, love with her. I think jazz hands to that. <laughs> All right. 
I will um, say Batman did yeah. look at her when she came out like uh, like someone who comes on like the next date. They're like, oh, you're my boyfriend. And they're like, whoa. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. 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 He, like, he told us it. For I'm me, like, watching this. Fast. <laughs> yeah. Like, we had like, fun. Uh, like, I like she, yeah. There was another That's podcast I was listening to and they were like, uh, she definitely has, her room is plastered with Batman posters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they had one episode. Yeah, they had yeah. one episode. Uh, <laughs> hey, Talia, I just met you. Slow it down, Talia. I'm not ready to inherit your evil empire, all right? <laughs> okay, I just met you and this is crazy. But here's my number. So call me. Lazarus Pit. It will give you life. Okay, any other questions? Any other questions? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's, point. A, so that's a great question. Yeah, I'll, I'll, can I start? Yeah, John. Go ahead. Okay. So the question was, why? We're all why, like, yes. Why now in the series is 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 are we doing the other? And I'm going to go back to my nerdy Star Trek reference. <laughs> and um, so we are at the <laughs> we're at the point in the series where we're ready for a change, I think, and we're ready to take a risk and. I mean, so in the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation, we got the best of both worlds, which was kind of the big epic episode that, that spanned a whole bunch of et cetera. And that's what I related this to. And, and I think that we have built up enough um, stock in these characters and in this world that we really care what's happening. And so the threat of... I mean, you take everything else from this episode and you've got the, the, the threat of destruction of the entire world. And we're at the point in the series where that actually means something. Like, if you had done that in, in the first season, okay, whatever. Like, that's, that's a shame. But now we really care about all of these, for instance, non-costume characters that we mentioned at the start of the roundtable, Commissioner Gordon and Harvey Bullock and everything like that. And we don't want these people to die. We don't want this world to die. And so we have to build these, this huge episode where, where things could actually change. And um, I think creating this, this otherness is really like, it, it, it puts us in this mindset where, oh my God, something really bad could actually happen. So I think that that's why it happens now as opposed to earlier. My thing, it is good. I want to say that I also think we need to remember that the comics industry is is highly commercial. And uh, they also were like, there was like through the 70s and in the 80s, this stepping up, like bringing in villains that are like getting people to buy comics. And I think Raish was the intro in the 70s was meant to be like, this is Batman's most equal and I think adding the otherness like what you were talking about is like a part of like um making him um seem like a challenge to Batman that he could possibly be the villain that kills him um until we get to Bane (laughs) breaks the bats back right um but yeah I think it's partly commercial is also why um well that that's kind of brings me to because I think um it's a logistics thing as well 
um, they set up Talia. Um, is it the second season or the early part of the uh, third season? In Batman, I yeah, the animated Off series. Off Balance is her first episode, which is which That's season? Second season. That's the second season. So second you, second volume. Yeah, the second. So um, you you set it up where you're going to introduce this character, and then you got the guys who wrote the comic to actually do the tele um play for the show itself. Mm-hmm. And if you can yeah, get the yeah. guys that actually who actually wrote the. You, you get nuances that you wouldn't get from just a staff writer from another show, mm-hmm. and I just like had a, an afterthought about like um, your costume part because a lot of that stuff, like the way she looked and like the whole um, supernatural aspect of it, is very Mario Brava too, like how it's like the demon um, bride and um, like that whole Dracula um, lore and myth, and it just like oh, kind of yeah. mixes all together, especially the way she looks. It's, it's like um, her hair is darker in this episode than it was in previous episodes, and then in, like the next episode. So she's yeah. meant to like look like this ethereal kind of like um, demon goddess. It's almost Hammer Films. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just so good, um, and I think it's it's it takes its cue from that that period of filmmaking and having this. It's just like a perfect storm of everything, and it's perfect because you know you really hit the, this show is hitting its stride at this point. And then you had a, a little latitude to actually make these stories happen. Because as uh, Steven mentioned earlier, like the animation wasn't up to snuff. And if you're going to do something like this epic, you want to get like the best possible um, components that you can get to put that together. And that is why it is like the second like ep- best episode of the entire series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyone that rates the best episodes, the Demon Quest is in the top. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And anyone who missed seeing it on the big screen today, it sucks to be you. Yeah. And that was cool. That was so that was cool. Really cool. I also that was think, really like, cool. Yeah. Like, why, why now? I, I, I would imagine the people that were doing the show probably did it then because that's when they could. Right? Yeah. That's when they could get David Warner. That, like, I'm sure there's a lot of money. Yeah, that's when they got, yeah. I'm sure there was some like, functionalness yeah. to that. Aladdin was out. She looks like Jasmine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He does look yeah. like Jafar. Oh my freaking god. It. Another yeah. hyper orientalist western story. Also, Robin Williams yeah. and Kevin Conroy were roommates. Ah. And we were oh, in the middle of the Gulf War. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a good point. That's true too. So we got like a and lot well, of which perfect uh, Also, Derek like brought that up in his lecture. Um yeah. when you used Bush, yeah. Yeah. Well, that this is good. Bush the first. Wait, I yeah, thought Derek was, was gonna like. I don't know <laughs> why I thought Derek was storm. gonna do something. Um, anyone else want to add on? I think that's pretty much it. I think the yeah. archetype was um, important, and also they were trying to make money. There's always gonna be in comics, like especially with Batman, who's been around for seventy five years. So oh, every decade, they're gonna be like, "All right, we need to sell comics." So it's like you know, Batman versus Superman, Superman, uh, Raish, Raish or Roz. It's Raish in the BTAS. Um, I don't know how it turned into Roz. Was it because of uh, the Christopher Nolan movies? It turned into Roz, or is it how people pronounced people it when they read it? I originally called him Roz because of the way it's spelled. spelled. Yeah. yeah, okay. But, but you say potato, I say potato. Um, you say tomato. So it's like a combination of those, like and and like I said, for instance, too, like Bane was another uh, super villain that came along to sell comics. So yeah. and now um, Batman and Catwoman are. Oh my god! It's so fucking wrong. Sorry to curse, but it's wrong. They're not actually going to do it. They're not. Well, if they do get married, you know, Catwoman's going to get killed or something. (laughs) Again, she'll be back. (laughs) 
She'll be back. Oh my god! I just well, it's just like earlier makes no. It just it's just like I Batman is a tragic hero, and so he doesn't ever get fucking married or have children. Everybody just get the fuck over it. He's not a breeder. Well, he does, yeah, he does have a son. Who's a dick. He no, a, he's not. Well, Damon Wayne, hold on. <laughs> Damon, Damon is. Damon, Damon Wayne is a Damon dick. Wayne is like a no, total I know. juvenile. I was just joking about it. I know. Um, well, it's the dick that she had before, and now she's got like a dick now, and it's just like all these dicks in the Bat family. And also, guys, like backstory on Talia, like, oh, man, does she does she mess with Batman? Oh, oh she yeah. basically sexually like, assaults him. Well, they... It's they say it's rape. Is she's I, she, I mean, like, depending on the source, it's material. so yeah. insane. Yeah. Actually, Grant Morrison like wrote this whole arc, puppy. and he's yeah, he's a messed up person. Yes. And uh, the comics now, are really Scottish. messed up. Okay. He is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm coming back full circle from the Neam Nielsen. Oh, I keep track of the conversations that are happening um, on this panel. Well, like I whatever, I'm totally gonna this. read it. I'm totally gonna read it. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think we're good. We're good. Everyone good? Yeah, okay. We're, we're good. I'm Thank great. you, everyone. We, we, like, did so good today. We're, like... We're ending like 15 minutes early instead of like an hour late. An hour late. Yeah. yeah. So thank you everyone for joining us and um, come back next hands. Week. Come Same back bat next time. Week. Same bat channel. <laughs> what? Okay. Could you stop this for me? So there you have it, Gothamites. That's the end of uh, the Demon's Quest discussion roundtable. I just wanted to chop in here real quick and say thank you again for listening because you made it to the end so uh, you get an extra thank you and tune in because I still have to get together season 4 the uh, goal time is to have that up next week which will be the first week in December 2017 so uh, hey let's cross our fingers maybe that will happen